I grew up skiing from a very young age, kind of like <laughs> before I could really even walk, my dad pushed me around the yard um, and it would take me out of school pretty young to just like go take a Friday off or something out of kindergarten. And oh, cool. so I, uh, yeah, skiing was kind of my first love. And then um, fast forward, I ended up studying uh, English and journalism in, in college and went to, I went back country skiing for my first time in college, but I had no idea what I was doing. And I was okay, with cool. a good was, friend. Was that all uh, Colorado? That was, I grew up in New York State and Maryland. Oh, okay. And then I went to school in Maine. And oh, okay, lovely. Yeah. So I had a, I had a friend kind of show me what to buy and take me out for my first day. And we literally were skinning in a place called the Gulf of Slides. I had no training. I didn't know what I was doing. And there were two slide paths that it were fresh. Like I still smell the pine. And I was skinning right over the top of these, all these down trees. There's hundreds of down trees. And I like, I was like, wow, the power of nature. But I didn't really think about the fact that like I could trigger an avalanche and get caught <laughs> in something like that. Like um, it just didn't even cross my mind. And so I look back on that now and I'm like, wow, like there's so much um, that I didn't know. And I wish that I had a place like Bluebird to to take my first steps and get proper training rather than just rely on on my buddy, on my buddy's um, knowledge or, or lack thereof. So Hi everybody, welcome to the Backlog Journal FFS podcast. Today I'll be interviewing Eric Lambert from Bluebird Backcountry. Bluebird Backcountry is a brand new resort in Colorado where there's no lifts and you simply skin up and ride back down. It's a new concept with the idea of introducing people to the backcountry in a safe and stable environment. My name's Pete Coombs. I hope you enjoy the pod. If you do, please forward it to your mates. Ride, connect, stay safe. Before we start, a quick apology about some of the sound quality. It's a bit sketchy in places, but you should be able to understand what's going on. Over time, I started skiing a lot more in the backcountry and got, got my training and all that. Uh, my professional background was as a journalist for Backcountry Magazine and Alpinist Magazine for four years, and then I moved over to the American Alpine Club and ran their marketing and membership and publications. Like this started, Bluebird started as a side project when Jeff, who I knew from grad school, was like, hey, I took my brother backcountry skiing for Christmas and he had this amazing time, but he, like, he didn't know where to begin. He never would have even tried it if I hadn't been obsessed with it and decided that he needed to do, to come, to tag along, right? And my business partner is not in the outdoor industry like I am. Uh, but he's like, why is this so hard? <laughs> like, why are the barriers <laughs> to entry so high? Why is it so expensive? Why do you, 
Um, why is the first step in this like spending thousands of dollars on equipment or, you know, renting equipment and then not knowing where to go or taking a, a course that's super expensive before you even know if you like it. And we just figured like, basically he brought me in super early at like a couple of weeks after he took his brother skiing. And I was like, why is this so hard? Like, it's just something I want to share with people. Um, it seems like yeah, it's, I mean, unnecessarily it's complicated. How, uh, how incredibly expensive the kit is. I mean, at least with uh, ski touring, you can kind of rent stuff. With splitboarding, it's certainly in Europe, it's almost impossible to rent a splitboarding kit. And um, it's just, yeah, like you say, you know, you, you're passing with a couple of thousand pounds whilst you've got your safety equipment as well, just to just to walk onto the hill. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. And the sound bite here is the barriers to entry are, are high and basically learning to backcountry ski is expensive or it's dangerous or it's both. Yeah. And yeah, sure. we felt there needed to be a better way and a more friendly and welcoming way to introduce people into the sport. And I, I believe that backcountry skiing is 20 years or so behind rock climbing, right? So I think about well, in, rock in climbing accessibility. As, well, yeah, it's like, it's a, you know, if you, if you rewind 40 years, like you, it's rock climbing is a dangerous sport. You need to either have a mentor to show you the ropes, literally, yeah. uh, or you need to like kind of read freedom of the hills and hope for the best and <laughs> hope you don't screw it up <laughs> or, yeah, cause the consequences you, are high. Or you spend a ton of money on a guide, right? And like the guiding culture here is very different than in Britain and in Europe yeah. generally. But like that's, you know, those options are, they were just very limited. And what climbing gyms did was revolutionize that to a degree where really they're what climbing gyms are solving for access, education, and community. And that's exactly what we hope to do with backcountry skiing is to reduce those barriers to entry, improve access, make it easier to try, easier to learn, more friendly, more welcoming, and then um, create really smart educational pathways that meet people where they're at and then help them understand what are all the things you need to learn and then practice to develop your competencies and confidence and truly like build those skills in a way that you understand them and you know them inside and out before you're going into the true backcountry. Yeah, and that's no, something climbing no. gyms never did well, right? Like they- No, no, there's always a bouldering mat. There's a nice thing to land on. It's, it's a soft entry, isn't it? You're not high, there's no ropes involved in, in certain centers. And, and, and like yeah. that, that part's okay. Like the, the basic education around learning how to belay or yeah, technique, those technique. sorts of things are there, but like, if you want to take it to the next step, you still need a mentor. And, yep. you know, at least in this country, some gyms are getting smart to that and building these progressive courses, helping people transition to the outdoor climbing and doing so in a way that it's proper. Um, but that doesn't exist yet for backcountry skiing in our minds. And we want to create that place. And then yeah, the third no, thing no, is just like aspirational and and then that community piece is there's just no gathering place for the backcountry community 
everyone has their own little group and does their own thing and that's great but there also is a missed opportunity there where there's, yeah, there's a lack of networking almost exactly yep yeah so, so i can be uh, on, pretty on to, um... i can be verbose so just tell me what length <laughs> you want my answers um no 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 i love it it's great it's all it's all dynamite it's golden yeah so in europe we're so busy you know we have all the lands used it's either national park or it's an existing ski resort so could you tell us a little bit about you know the process in how you begin to sort of find lands and and how you can even create a, a resort from scratch yeah um land is the crux and for this business and there's a reason there's not very many new ski areas right and it's right. because this part is the most challenging part and the way that you go about it is you put a lot of elbow grease into it and you also get lucky <laughs> we have a lease on the property and that and is it farmland what, what happens in the summer with it is it just yep it's yeah so it's a cattle ranch so a cattle ranch, right. spring and summer there's um you know that's the focus of the ranch and then in the fall they do guided hunting operations there there are a lot of oh, okay. amazing wildlife on the property and and then in the winter this you know the ranch other than you know feeding the cows uh in the cold um this is like a great use of the property and in the land um to make productive use of that throughout a season that doesn't really have an income stream for the ranch and um the, the terrain i mean was it did you sort of when you first got there did you just sort of take a little walk around in the summer and just think this is great this you know this is all good to go yeah so you know when we were first uh we've done this in phases um this year is our big launch of our first full season but last year we did a test season and that was at peak ranch and this is the same property you know, but two years ago we did six prototype days on forest service land and one was just out of bounds and one was in partnership with winter park resort um those were just super early prototypes that helped us understand is this something people actually want and will pay for and we need to start figuring out how to do all this. Uh, and then in 2020, we, I guess like those went well. In the summer of 2019, we did a systematic land sprint, we called it, where we got our entire volunteer team to help us figure out how are we gonna chase down a location. So we, we talked with existing ski areas to see if we could operate within their boundary, um, their inbounds boundary. We talked to the right. existing ski areas to see if we could operate inside their permit boundary, but outside of their operating boundary. We did a, a systematic search of private parcels that had the terrain and elevation and snow characteristics that we wanted. Um, and we talked with some municipalities and 
we basically every possible way that we might get access to land we chase that down right. and uh in the end in the end we, yeah so yeah we had good conversations with some resorts but ultimately it came down to like they're like if we're gonna do this then we're gonna do this why would we have you right. yeah. and the we, trouble with a good idea <laughs> and well not only that we had no operational experience so uh, we're trying to start this from scratch with no knowledge and there's a lot of challenges with doing it that way for us yeah. uh, we have a lot of great mentors in the industry now which is amazing but um it also means that we bring an entirely new perspective to the ski industry uh, we're making it up as we go and we are listening and learning and taking like an iterative tech approach to how we think about building this thing and the result of that means that we get to make the rules rather than play by the rules that have already been made in the industry. Um, and so like with important things like ski patrol, insurance, those sorts of things, we're very much following the existing guidelines and letter of the law and everything like that. You know, at first the trade groups like NSAA, like we're really skeptical. Like if you read something from the NSA journal last year, they're like, this isn't a real ski area. <laughs> so, you know, our, my take on that is, uh, they, they ignore you, they laugh at you, they fight you, you win. Right. So, um, I think last year, uh, it was, they laugh at you and Hopefully, um, we're able to prove out the concept this year and really illustrate that a new kind of skiria can and should exist and that people want it. Yeah. That's um, totally different than a downhill area. That's totally different than a Nordic area. It's totally different than a guided experience. So did you have any issues with land usage? Did you need any planning permission or anything like that? Yeah, no, we don't need to rezone anything on this particular property. We do, or there's a conservation easement on the property. And so we needed to get permission from the land trust that holds that easement to operate there. Um, we need a very, we need to have a pretty light footprint there where we are not allowed to build any permanent buildings or new roads. Um, we are not allowed to do any kind of large scale glading effort or anything like that. I was going to ask, have you done any, any sort of felling or glading to, to create runs as, as such or open areas? Yeah, we're doing, uh, we're doing a very limited amount of that. So we're really focused, like there's a lot of great skiing that doesn't require it. Like there's a lot of old growth, Aspen skiing, it has just big open areas that are quite pleasant without doing much work at all. So we've been oh, focused on those where we're basically cutting deadfall. It's, it's already down, just like making sure that it's- Just clearing it. As close to the ground as possible. And then yeah. um, we're doing a little bit of work to open up some areas of thickets for our skin tracks to go through. And then there are um, a couple of, there's 
like the north face is quite heavily wooded and we are doing really limited clearing in there of deadfall to open up the the skiing for a couple of runs that will just be a little more open than the really like thick trees in there um but i think the best skiing is going to be in those kind of open the areas that are already pretty well open or pretty open light and then um i was looking at your website and i noticed you had a sort of guided and a non-guided zone what's what's the sort of concept behind that could you expand on that yeah yeah so what makes us different is that we offer a lot of the like a reasonable expectation of safety for our guests and comfort right so unlike the true backcountry, we have a ski patrol. So if something happens and you get hurt, there's someone there to call. Um, unlike the true backcountry, we have, you know, restrooms, they're nothing fancy, but there's porta potties there that you can use and there's food you can buy. And if you, um, you know, if you break a piece of equipment, you can just pop down to the bottom and rent, rent more, right? Like, Yep. Uh, a lot of the basics that exist at a small ski area are what we try to provide here. And that um, that boundary, that 1,200 acres of inbound skiing is what makes us different and unique. And that is what we really focus on is, is that differentiating factor um, of having this inbounds backcountry, which is an oxymoron except at Bluebird. Um, and then the, the guided terrain will have some really great, there's really going to be really great skiing in that guided area. Um, but it's guided skiing already exists <laughs> in a lot of places. So you can hire a guide almost anywhere. Um, I think it's cool that we get to open this piece of private land for people to access and come and explore. Uh, but the thing that really makes us different is that inbounds zone where we have professional patrol and we have warming so, huts and so both both the whole areas. area everything that you operate under is has got uh, the protection of patrol basically and it's got avalanche you avalanche access, uh, assess it yeah so in the twelve in in the inbounds in the inbound bit right in the inbounds it's it's patrolled and. Yeah. We, we use the term avalanche evaluation, you know, okay. it's the same reasonable expectation of safety that you'd have going to any other downhill ski area. Like we have, they're doing compaction, they're doing ski cutting. We do not use explosives. Um, and the reason we avoid, don't use explosives. We do not. No. Partly we don't need them and partly it's like incredibly expensive and requires a bunch of regulation that we wouldn't be able to even open this here um, if we if we were to use explosives. But our our patrol has been patrolling for 40 years and has total confidence that we can uh, manage the terrain. It's quite a responsibility to um, to take people into the backcountry or into a you know a zone that hasn't been blasted or it hasn't been pasted or groomed as you call it. Um, you know, I mean, I, I do a lot of backcountry touring or as much as I can. And um, I quite often, you know, I've, I've been on courses 
Avalanche courses. I take it really, really seriously. I don't go with people that I don't trust. Um, I, I make sure that everybody's, you know, transceivers are on and, and there's all that sort of responsibility behind it. But it's still weighs quite heavily on me sometimes, particularly if, if I'm kind of leading the day. So it must be, you know, it must weigh on you. Or it must be something that you contemplate. So, I mean, does it worry you? To, you know, is there a fear factor involved in this or you just got... 100% faith in the people around you to make the right calls. I think I think if you ask any person in operations at any area in the world that they would say that what keeps them up at night is worrying about making sure their guests are safe. Yeah. Um, and I'm the marketing guy. I'm not the ops guy, but <laughs> that's still what keeps me up at night is how do we make sure that we're doing everything in our power to um, establish an environment. Like the number one reason people come to us is that they want that less risky, more comfortable place to go. And so it's our responsibility to create that every minute of every day. And we are, um, you know, the, the way that we can create that same reasonable expectation of safety that someone would find anywhere else is the fact that we we more conservatively close like open and close terrain right wow. so um we are we are still doing avalanche mitigation or control or whatever you want to call it we're just not using explosives to do it and guides do this all the time right like if a guide yeah yeah take someone out there and so we're doing that we're just doing it on a, on a larger scale where we are very aware of all the problem spots on the mountain we're watching them multiple times a day to see what the snow is doing and we're opening and closing terrain based on uh, a deep understanding of that snowpack and the land and the, and the avalanche atlas that we've built it's based on knowing like what the slope angles are yeah at every at every kind of square foot of that property so i mean have you mitigated or are you expecting sort of days when you're going to have to close because the, the risk is just too high or do you think you can operate uh, pretty much all the there time? are there are areas of the property that will almost certainly be open no matter what the snow is doing and then there's okay. areas of the property that will uh, possibly be closed the entire season like we have some yeah. 50 degree couars that well, are well. going to re require <laughs> some really Not particular first conditions <laughs> right so you know we're excited to hopefully open something like that in the spring when the time is right <laughs> you know like we yeah, on yeah. some of them it's like celebrity skiing like right like we will need to figure out like is it possible to open these things in a way that makes us feel very confident and if so like we will and it'll be great if you're happen to be up there that day um but yeah like there's a huge variety of terrain and uh that terrain is going to be managed by a team of professionals who are you know they're on the property now like getting deeply familiar with with it 
Right, right, right. That's amazing. And then you're operating, is it Thursday through to Sunday? Is that correct? Yeah, Thursdays through Mondays, five Thursday days a Mondays, week. Right. And is, is that um, because of the envisaged demand or is that to let the snow refresh or both? Or? <laughs> uh, well, like we've done this incrementally every year. Like I said, we did our six days of prototypes in 2019. In 2020, we did 14 day test season. And then this year we're doing a 69 day season. And so, you know, that's a big step for us. Um, it, to be totally honest, the reason that it's five days is so that we don't have to hire two crews. Right, okay. <laughs> right, like Give them the weekend we, don't, we don't really expect there will be um, a ton of demand on Tuesdays and Wednesdays anyway. Right, okay, but, yeah. You know, we'll learn a lot more about weekday visitation this year. We did mostly weekends and long weekends last year. And so this is a way to like step into it into it without like fully committing to being open every day and we're already going from like last year we had two ski patrollers who were employees and that was it this year we're going to have probably 25 or 30 employees so we've we're hiring you know we're hiring somebody almost every day right now <laughs> and the last thing we need is to hire twice as many of them <laughs> um with all the the onboarding and like, like we've built this amazing volunteer culture and so um, that's a big transition for us this year is how do we continue to uh, live that while introducing a bunch of new people into what we're doing and make sure that the culture um, of Bluebird thrives, even with right. all this, um, this new team. So there's a real a will to build a sort of local community as, as well as shipping in, you know, guests for the day or whatever you feel there's a real community vibe going on yeah yeah and you know something that was a reality last year is that people came at eight or nine and left at two or three or four or five and they came for the day and some of them would stay in Kremlin or steamboat and come back the next day but we didn't have away like almost any other ski area often there's like a place to stay on site and we didn't have that so this year we're kind of testing that by having camping so people will be allowed to, to basically car camp um and we'll see like uh what is that experience like how many people want to do it but i'm just excited that we'll have more of a multi-day um cultural experience for people coming back to my sort of fear failure success thing what um how would you deem the season to be a success this year what are your aims huh. yeah well i mean the the short answer is we want as many people to experience this unique alternative ski experience as possible and we want them to walk away saying like that was the best day of my winter um and to have it be incredibly memorable for them and inspire them to want to learn more and backcountry ski more and to get the proper training so really it's like 
making sure people are aware that this you know different kind of ski experience exists um, giving them a great time on the hill and hopefully like having as many people as possible come through and like see what it's all about so those those are the things that we're really focused on right i mean in europe it's actually really difficult to even buy any backcountry kit because everybody's so worried about the resorts shutting and lifts not opening and or they just want to get away from the resorts um how's how's demand i mean is, are you seeing a lot of people buy tickets early bird tickets or whatever for, for Blue yeah. Bird? yeah yeah demand's been really nice um uh kind of kicking into this season so we have not put our reservation system up yet but we've pre-sold a couple of things. Um, we are selling 500 season passes. Those sold out about a month ago. So Amazing. those are all booked. Um, we're selling like packs of passes, like four packs and 10 packs that you can transfer with friends. So if you right. buy a 10 pack, you could come with four friends two different times or something like that. Or you could use them all yourself over the season or however you want to use them, you can use them. And those have, yeah, the sales of those have been very good as well. Um, and then we've opened our avalanche courses or at least like a, an early set of those. And those are basically all sold out as well. Wow, so, wow, that's brilliant. Yeah, demand is looking really good. And it's kind of, I mean, it's very exciting and it's definitely, we're getting a little COVID bump here. I wish I knew how much of it was due to COVID, <laughs> but um <laughs> But I think, you know, it's just the right idea at the right time. And again, it's like we've been looking at market signals on this and talking and trying to understand the our audiences for years and felt very confident that this needed to happen. And now we're just like layering on top of that, like the increased demand for um, outdoor you know, outdoor experiences and yeah. alternatives I mean, to I, I see crowded that, resorts. That, I saw that some of the funding was crowdfunded. I mean, was that successful? Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. So, like, that was our big public announcement of the concept. Like, we, you know, we had, we had a, a digital presence around the idea, but that was our big launch of, like, hey, we have our own location. <laughs> um, yeah. like, come, like, support us and come out and see what we're doing. We're gonna test this out. And if it goes well, we're gonna go big. And right. that went really well. We raised $107,000 on Kickstarter in just 10 days. And that was all like only a couple of weeks before we actually opened to the public. So it all happened very fast. Um, it exceeded our expectations around what we thought would happen with the crowdfunding. It was, um, really a tool to like build brand and pre-sale pre-sell the slots that we had for that test season and that worked I guess great start and to build a community too absolutely yeah and people we had started invested they feel invested that. in the project yeah we had started doing that um through you know surveys and things and we just we had a, a rabid following out of the gate of people who wanted to help see this concept survive and actually a lot of people 
in our early survey without us even asking said, how do I volunteer? Or how do I help you? And <laughs> that's how we ended up with our volunteer team. We have over 300 volunteers now um, with about 25 of them doing like, like really substantial planning work on a weekly basis. Uh, and it's the only way we could have gotten this far is through the support of those volunteers. So, I mean, I've been on a few road trips around Colorado and I've always really enjoyed traveling between resorts. Um, if I was to come over to Colorado this season, how many days would you think I should leave in my itinerary to visit Bluebird? Yeah, and I think a lot of it depends on how experienced they are, right? So somebody who's uh, very experienced might come to Bluebird and spend a couple of days and be like, cool, like that's cool what they're doing over there. Um, whereas uh, somebody who's learning or beginning their backcountry journey, they might want to spend a lot more time like doing, going through the courses. Level one's like a half day. It's really just a super basic intro. You will go on a little tour, but a lot of it is just learning how to use your gear, et cetera. Backcountry two and three uh, are a full day. Backcountry two is focused on movement and backcountry three is focused on avalanche prep. So kind of circling back on what you learned in one and two, taking that to uh, maybe some steeper terrain, um, thinking about trip planning, thinking about, hey, like, here's here's what to expect. Like, you're about to, you're about to get scared in your avalanche course, right? Like mentally preparing people as well as making sure people are physically ready to like enter an avalanche one class. Like we believe that this should be a series of steps that lead you to that education. And we know some people are gonna want to just take like, I wanna do my one, two and three all in one weekend. And we'll, we'll let them do that. Um, if they have the fitness and skills to do so. Uh, but we really believe that like that learning would be better. They'd be better served um, taking a class and then going out and practicing the skills they learned and then coming back and taking another class. And when I say practicing those skills, I mean inbounds, not <laughs> putting themselves in avalanche terrain, right? Like a big part of what yeah. we teach is what these courses are not and where you should be and should not be. All right, cool. Um, one a very quick question was, um, have you got any limitations on the amount of people that can come to the resort each day? I mean, because yep. you've yeah, sold we... obviously all the season pass, so presumably they can come when they want. Yeah, they can come whenever they want and we've modeled that out so we have a reasonable understanding of how many more tickets we can sell so the caps are 200 per day 200 so people that, through the door a day yep right. and you know that's to ensure that the experience remains backcountry-esque yeah like a and, wilderness one yeah and then it, yeah and then they have that quality experience and then obviously there's a COVID factor here that helps with that and um, gives people more confidence around ha like ha coming to have this alternative experience. And uh, <laughs> the other thing is that 
the Department of Transportation has put a cap on the number of people that can turn into our road. So um, oh, okay. that's <laughs> right around 200. Ways, so, yeah, so it, yeah. it, works, it yeah. works for us. That'll be fine. And um, yeah, if we, if we have 200 people on our weekends, like we'll be really, we'll be really excited about how many folks are coming out and checking out what we're doing. And so that works for us fine. Okay, perfect, perfect. Well, um, it's been really, really interesting, Eric. And thanks ever so much for taking the time. And um, yeah, hopefully, uh, nice to talk hopefully to you. I can, can actually press the flesh sometime and come, come check it out. I'd love to come and do a tour. Mm-hmm.